0: Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out deep into your retirement or somewhere in between, the Money Answers Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Scott Bilker. He is the publisher and editor of the Debt Smart newsletter, uh, which helps people maximize their use of credit and debt. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Scott. Thanks for having me, Jordan. Great to be here. Just give us a little bit of your history and how you got to where you are today.
2: Sure. Well, it did all start when I was back in college. And in my last year, I ran out of the ability to borrow money. So I had to turn to my credit cards to finish out school. And being an engineer, it was certainly worth that investment. The, the problem was, at the time, rates were like around 19.8%. I just could not afford to pay rates that were that insane. So I had to start to really pay attention, really come up with a plan and work on a way to save money on interest because everything was expensive and I wasn't earning anything at the time. So what I developed was a just a methodology of applying the mathematics I learned as an engineer to finance, which is a different type of mathematics altogether and uh, calculate how to save the most money. So by telling my engineering friends how I was saving money, they really wanted to hear my advice and they started saving money too. And eventually I'm like, you know what? This might make a good book. And then that book turned into a website, turned into more books, and and here I am today.
1: Very good. Yeah. So let's take a look at the broad view of the credit card situation. We have the Federal Reserve has been raising interest rates all year, probably gonna keep raising them more. Mm-hmm. The amount of consumer credit card debt has really expanded a lot this year. Uh, are people getting themselves into a lot of trouble in the circumstance?
2: Oh, they certainly are. And in fact, in the Fed's last uh, release, it looked like uh, revolving debt is up like 18 percent in August and has been climbing steadily, uh, certainly compared to where people were saving money back in 2020 because they were getting a bunch of money and everyone was home. So now things have certainly turned around and uh, it's going to just not only make people have more debt, but also just drive up the cost of that debt. Why do you
1: think people are adding debt at such a pace right
2: now? Um, Well, I think that really we're looking at, you know, this high inflation and with goods costing a tremendous amount of money. I mean, I was just just buying a few things at the local grocery store, just a few things like one little bag was like forty five dollars, just incredible the amount of just bread and milk, just simple things. So I think people that are really strapped for money um, because real wages have gone down in recent time and then inflation has gone up and people are turning again to their credit cards to make ends meet so uh this is a cycle we've seen before uh when was
1: the last time we had a cycle similar to this we've had inflation credit card debt going up pretty sharply and, and how did it end
2: uh well um th- there were like you s- just mentioned a few times in history where that occurred but i mean i think we did see kind of an end to that uh just in the last you know a few years even during the pandemic people were saving money that was probably the strongest end i mean the the revolving debt actually went down some of the time and uh leading up to that in the prior years to the, the pandemic um the economy was really strong in uh Inflation was low. I mean, I think those are some good times. And the stock market was really doing well. So that means everyone's 401ks were, were strong. Yeah.
1: So um, with interest rates going up uh, this much, what, what is the bank's attitude towards debt these days? Are they making credit relatively available at these high rates because they make so much money doing it?
2: Well, that's their business. So they're going to. Be in the business of finding new borrowers that are going to be low risk for paying it back. So it's definitely worth their marketing efforts. I mean, marketing, if you go back, say 10, 15 years, banks were spending then about $300 to find each customer. And probably those numbers have gone up a little bit uh, in recent time, but it, it's, you know, it, it's just a different approach. You got a lot of direct mail approach, but now you have Google ads and all kinds of online advertising for them to find, to customers, but with rates going up, it's going to be more important than ever to pay attention to credit card rates because when, when you borrow money, any kind of money, you're just buying it to do other things. It's a cost to buy that money. Yeah, indeed. How can people tell when they're headed
1: for trouble with credit cards? What are the warning signs? We've talked about people adding a lot of debt at high interest rates. Uh you know, what are some of the warning signs that people are headed for trouble?
2: All right. Well, there are quite a few warning signs. Um, First of all, cannot make the minimum payments on your credit card. And you're having to juggle all your debts to do that. You're maxed out on your credit cards. Uh, Psychologically, the fear of other people finding out that you have debt. You're just embarrassed about it. Um, Not able to pay off credit card balances when statements arrive. And, And this is really a sign. But this isn't really a sign of care of problems, but more of a spending problem where you need to start tracking your spending. And, and this may fix some of it. Uh, if your bills are piled up somewhere on the kitchen counter, okay see this a lot. People bring their mail, they don't look through it. Or you have an inbox full of 3,000 unread emails and you know a lot of those are bills. Uh, if you're not getting low rate offers, you should definitely be getting A stream of low-rate offers in the mail certainly in your current credit cards and other new offers uh you don't have enough money in the bank to pay the bills when they're due this is another sign um you don't know the exact value of your debt which you know is important to know so you can have a plan yeah okay so so those are certainly some sides
1: so uh if if you're in good shape, you'll be getting offers for lo- low interest credit cards, and if you're in bad shape, they're not going to go go after you. Is that the idea?
2: Exactly. Yeah. If you're that's one way you can know if you're having some problems. Uh, you should definitely be getting a stream of low rate offers all the time. I mean, I get them constantly, whether it's by email, whether it's by snail mail, uh, somewhere, you know. But and if you're not getting them, just look around because they are all around you. You'll see them advertisements. You you want to keep your eye out for those. Is it
1: a good idea to do a 0% balance transfer offer, even if there's a fee involved, to transfer balances from high interest cards to those kind of cards?
2: Yes. And the the thing is, you have to calculate the fee and know how that fee relates to um, your current debt. And I'll give you some examples. First of all, if um, there was a time you could do like a 0% transfer with absolutely no fees. Those were the days, Jordan. In fact, you know, I'll take a little sidetrack on this one. Back then, I took $60,000 in cash advances on my credit cards. and This was when there was no fees. OK, so it was 0% truly. And I put those in money markets, which at the time back then were paying about 3%. And I left them in there for a year, and then I took that money market money, paid it back, and got to keep like $1,800 in interest. And I looked at that as like I'm finally getting paid back for any interest I paid in the past. So that worked great. Today, that's not going to work at all. That's because of the fees you're talking about. So, for example, if you had a six-month offer of 0%, but there was a 3% fee, well, that means that if you had a 3% fee in six months, that's like 6% in a year. So really, that six-month offer at 0% is 6%. So unless you're paying off a debt that is greater than 6%, it won't make sense for you to take that offer. Is there a danger in opening too
1: many accounts and kind of bouncing your balance from one place to another because it's going to hurt your credit score?
2: Well, as you're opening them, sure, every time you're going to open an account and put money on that account, that will definitely affect your credit score. However, if you have a bunch of accounts and you're moving them around your credit cards, it's not going to hurt you that much. So um, as far as applying for the different cards, it's certainly good to have more credit options. When you cut out your credit – when you don't have credit cards, you're cutting out your credit options. You may need those other credit cards to get those lower rates. Because you don't know what the future has to offer with how much the banks will try to charge you. So having those other cards is a good idea. What's a bad idea is to spend all that money on things you don't need and get yourself in a lot of trouble. If you're going to have those new credit lines, use them constructively to lower the cost of your debt. And that money you save will be used to pay back the other debts. Your newsletter
1: is called Debt Smart at DebtSmart.com. What are some things that people can find at the uh, DebtSmart.com website?
2: Oh, I have uh, hundreds of articles going back, you know, decades at this point that are going to show people how to uh, get organized, how to save money on their credit cards, uh, what's happening in credit cards today, um, plus a whole bunch of tools on there I developed. That will help them compare different loans and videos that I've made throughout the years. Uh, it's a great place to start if you're looking for things. Um, plus, you know, some media interviews I've done uh, over time, I have posted there as well. And you'll find this one there, too. At some point. So you, you have a specific uh, uh, tool called the Money Tracker. Tell us about that one. Sure. This is something I developed just in recent time, this Money Tracker. And what I wanted to do is just have an alternative to. Um, Uh, Now, I love Quicken. I've been using Quicken since uh, 1987, and um, and it's been great, and I still use it today. But it will be nice to have just an alternative because I don't like to have all my eggs in one basket. So I developed this. uh, Being an engineer, I've been very much into using different sheets in Excel. So I put this together in Google Sheets and put it on Etsy just to play around with Etsy. Uh, to see if it you know how it works so I can even write about it and talk to people about other ways to earn money so I have it up there for $4.99 and it's pretty powerful I mean you can use this thing for an um, individual business you can have multiple instances of it uh, you can use it for your rental properties to organize that it's just a way with multiple spreadsheets that's automated to track all of your transactions track them by category and um, organize this
1: so that will be helpful in keeping out of debt if you're tracking your expenses better you're saying some people are getting into debt because they're just not aware of what kind of money they're spending
2: Yeah, yes definitely one reason that people are getting into debt um, the, the the problem is um, just a multitude of problems one people are generally just lazy and they don't want to focus on money life is busy and It sometimes cannot be a priority. But if you did review and scrutinize every penny every day, then you would always know where you are. Uh, Also, people don't really understand the math, and it's very easy to trick people using math about which way to go. For example, like the biweekly mortgage versus the monthly mortgage. People think that paying more frequently is what saves money. It is not. Uh, it does, it does, but it saves very little. The thing that makes you save money is paying more, and the trick in the buy weekly mortgage is to make you pay an extra payment per year. So some places will try to say uh, your rate will go up but you'll save money, but that is not true, and they're just taking the difference because they're making you pay more per month using a buy weekly mortgage and tricking you with the math. That's what banks do, indeed. Okay, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan
1: Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Scott Bilker. He is the publisher and editor of the Debt Smart newsletter, all about using debt wisely. You can find out more at his website, debtsmart.com. We'll be back after this.
0: Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's gonna be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is gonna be big, they call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not gonna be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life.
3: Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality positive thought current events and even more about your favorite host it's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com that's blog.voiceamerica.com the voice america press blog all access all the time
1: Welcome back to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Scott Bilker. He is the publisher of the Debt Smart Newsletter, which is a newsletter online to help you make the most of your debt and credit situation. You can find out more at his website, debtsmart.com. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Thanks, Jordan. What are some of the most important factors you can use to improve your credit rating? And and that's so important today with, with the high and rising interest rates.
2: Sure. Well, the absolute most important factor to increase your credit rating is to pay on time. There is no greater sin uh, that will hurt your credit more than paying late. Banks are most concerned with getting paid back for their loans. And if you consistently paid on time, you will always be in a better position when it comes to being eligible for low rates and better terms. Conversely, if you pay late. Uh, it can make the cost of your loans increase now with late fees and also in the future. Let me tell you a story that uh, happened to a friend of mine. Um, this was years ago. Um, he had he was going to be late on his mortgage because he, his car uh, broke down and needed to be repaired. So he was going to be late on his mortgage payment. And uh, he didn't tell me about this before it happened, but he paid his mortgage payment late, used the money to fix his car, and he just figured, oh, I'll pay the $50 late payment fee. Well, what happened was a few months later, he went to refinance his mortgage to a lower rate, which would have saved him thousands of dollars. But that one late payment disqualified him. He couldn't get it. Now, years later, he did eventually get it, a refinance, and it was approved. But when he told me this story, I said, what you should have done is cash advance money from one of your credit cards and pay that mortgage on time, you'll pay a cash advance fee. And sure, some people say, oh, Scott, you shouldn't use one credit card to pay another debt. But this is a case where you should, because for the small cash advance fee, which was less than the late fee for the mortgage, he would have paid on time. He had the money just a little later. He could have paid back the credit card. Maybe he would have paid a higher interest rate for that cash advance. So what? And then when he went to refinance his mortgage, he would have never been late. So his credit score would have not been touched and it would have got that refinance saving him thousands of dollars. So you need to be smart. Some would say debt smart to make sure that you always get the best. That makes sense. Yes. So
1: a lot of people are using home equity loans today because the interest rate is lower and it's deductible to some people compared to credit cards. What's the pro and con of using credit cards instead of home equity loans?
2: Sure. Well, like any loan a credit card a personal or a car loan you're getting money and you're paying a fee for that money mortgages are no different but in this case case of a mortgage or a home equity loan you may be able to get a tax benefit from that loan and this means you need a way to compare which loan is better when you take that benefit into account of course you get the tax benefit if your itemized deductions are greater than your standard deduction and that whole amount ima- at least the entire amount of your home interest is included in there so let's just assume it is and you get the full tax benefit for that home equity loan and let's just say that when all said and done you pay 15 percent in income taxes well that means you're going to save 15 percent on the money you borrowed so that means if you had to say Make the math easy. A 10% home equity loan that's reduced by your 15% tax rate, it's like an 8.5% credit card rate. So now the question, well, what people will try to tell you is you know, home equity loans always better for this case. And that's not true. I don't, I mean, I think you can easily see like a 30% home equity loan would never be better than a 0% credit card. and those extreme cases are easy to see. It just gets Little tougher when the numbers get close. And that's why you just have to take into consideration. So the just a rule of thumb, just whatever you paid in taxes, like your net taxes that you paid, just reduce your home equity rate by that amount. So if it's 15% income tax rate, one minus 15 is 85%. That means you're gonna pay 85% of whatever the rate is you're getting charged, and then compare that to your other credit options that are not that don't have a tax benefit, and you'll be able to figure out which one's best. People often talk about good versus bad debt, and
1: usually they put credit card debt in the bad debt category. Is that always true? Or or when can credit card be good and when is it bad?
2: Well, you know, you always hear those experts say what you just said, you know, like mortgage debt is always, you know, mortgage debt is good debt. Credit card debt is bad debt. Um, But that's just not always the case. Um, Debt is debt. Debt is just buying money and paying a fee. Um, what there is, is good buying decisions and bad buying decisions. If you're buying a Rolex watch, uh, you know, when you make $15,000 a year with your credit cards and you're paying 20%, that's just a bad purchasing decision. <laughs> now, of course, if you sold that a profit later, that would be different. Or again, let's look at like another case. Like, so say, you know, the people that would say always that, you know, a mortgage, that's always good debt. Well, say you spend 7% on a mortgage, that you paid 30% above market value for, and now you're down $100,000. Or you had credit card debt at 0% for a year on an auto business where you refurbish automobiles and you're making 50% profit. Clearly, it's not a matter of the credit card debt being better in this case, or the mortgage debt. It's what you do with the money after you buy it. That's the smart thing. You shouldn't go into debt for items that will decrease in value. You always wanna create, you know, money-making assets. Of course, you have to live and, you know, uh, buy certain things that aren't going to be investment type things, but try to stay focused on the things that will make you money in the future or that are good purchases. If you wouldn't purchase it with cash, you shouldn't purchase it with credit cards or second mortgages or whatever, because you're paying a price to buy that money to make that purchase and you want to make sure you get a return on that investment.
1: Would you consider student loan debt good debt or bad debt?
2: That's a great question. <laughs> it's going to depend on your major. You know, I mean, it's going to depend on your return on investment. Um, and the way you can determine that, I think, going into it is looking at the Bureau of Labor and Statistics data for uh, whatever your major is. Um, so just like search BLS, Space Engineering, things like that. People always tell me, oh, Scott, well, Scott, you know, what should, you know, young people? Uh, What should I do? What should I major in? You know, I want to do what I love. You always hear this. You want to do what you love. And I think you should do what you love. But I would say this to those kids. You love a lot of things. Pick the thing that makes the most money. And that's the thing you go to college for. So you might like a lot of stuff. You know, you might like you might like math. You might like uh, English. You might like arts. But whatever you think you're going to make the most money in, wherever there's the best opportunity, then college debt is going to be worth it. It won't be worth it to go into a field that has, a, when you look on the Bureau of Labor and Statistics for that major, uh, for that job market in the future. If if the market's going down and uh, there aren't many jobs projected out, you should think about that and and know that the odds of succeeding there will be low. It's not impossible. But you're going to be up against a more difficult journey. But if, say, you're into any STEM field, engineering always is the the top-paying field, or any kind of STEM field, computer science, information technology, these are the fields that make a lot of money. So if you're majoring in that, then student loan debt is certainly worth it, but still save money there. I know in my county in New Jersey, they have this STARS program, or at least they did when my kids were in college about a decade ago. I dated myself, but (laughs) the, uh, the stars program allowed you if you had great grades to go to community college for free. So it's like two years of college for free. And even if you didn't do that, just going to community college is a great deal. It's far less expensive. And typically all those credits will transfer. And then you'd have two years at a four year school and graduate with a four year degree. So you could do this very economically and get a great return on your investment now of course it might be worth paying to go to a four-year school like at penn state i know my my brother-in-law went there he had a great college career and enjoyed it and um you know it really worked out for him so i mean if you want to pay a premium for something like that and it's worth it that's fine but it will just cost more but again the most important thing is what are you going to college for What's the job outlook? What's the average salary for that? And the Bureau of Labor Statistics can answer that question. So definitely just type BLS space, whatever the major is, and you'll find out pretty quick. What is your
1: view of President Biden's forgiveness of student loan debt? 10,000, many people up to 20,000. It's been very controversial. Some people think it's a great idea. Some people think it's rewarding, people who shouldn't be rewarded. What is your view of that particular program?
2: That's a difficult one, only because I was a student that had a lot of debt. Well, not a lot, but not by today's standards. So, um, you know, if you're a student and uh, you have debt, then, I mean, that would be good. I think overall for the economy, probably not a good thing because we're going to inject a lot of money in there. I mean, people on the other side are going to say, well, these people aren't paying it back anyway, so we might as well remove it. I do think the income limits on it are pretty high, right? I mean, I think it's like 125,000. You can get up to 40,000 forgiven, right? Uh, or is it 20? No, it's 20,000. 10,000. dollars 20,000. 10, 10, 10,
1: 000, $20, 000 if you took out Pell grants,
2: right? 20,000 if you took out Pell grants. So you got a 125,000 dollar limit up to 20,000. If you're a married couple, it's 250, right? And then 40,000. So essentially, one person could be making 200. Fit forty-five thousand, and the other person making nothing, but they and the person who, who's making all the money owes the forty thousand. But because they're married, maybe they can get it. So I mean, I think there's some loopholes there that are probably not too fair. So it's it's difficult. It's almost a case-by-case basis. But the idea of injecting all that money into the economy, when we have this inflation going on, probably not a good idea.
1: It's probably going to cost. 500 billion plus and it's going to cost the the federal treasury an awful lot of money as well
2: yeah I, i do think it is um but at the same time for all those you know and it's going to go to a lot of people that make a lot of money i think it's just um i i get it i mean i was a student um you know for example i don't think that like the minimum wage it's going to really be helpful. But at the same time, when I was a minimum wage worker in my 20s, I would always vote for the minimum wage. So it's one of those things. Like I could see both sides, like it's not really going to be good for the overall economy, but for certain people, it'll be good.
1: Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Scott Bilker. He is the publisher and editor at the Debt Smart newsletter, which you can find out more about at his website, debtsmart.com.
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Scott Bilker. He is the publisher of the Debt Smart newsletter. You can find out more at his website, debtsmart.com. Welcome back to the show, Scott.
2: Thanks, Jordan. Thanks for having me. You talked
1: about your your spending uh, worksheet, but you have some other ones. You've got one with a mortgage worksheet. Explain how that works.
2: I do. And, uh, you know, whenever you sign up for the uh, email newsletter, you get this spreadsheet that I made back in the 90s. Well, I've updated this spreadsheet and um, I'm about to release it. And. um, I'll have to figure out how that's going to go, but this new spreadsheet's not only going to just figure out all your numbers, it's going to compare that to different scenarios. So, so say you want to spend another 50 a month or whatever, which is typical, but you'll be able to put in those numbers uh, in random time periods and then compare them at different interest rates and see uh, some graphical representations of how much money you'll save. It's always nice to look at the theoretical stuff and uh, be able to make a plan. Friend of mine uses it. I'm having him like test the final version. He's got a bunch of uh, rental properties and he's been using actually that thing since I made it in the mid 90s. And he says that it's helped him, you know, make a lot of money. So just knowing the numbers, as always, doing the math is so important for everything you do when it comes to money, because you need to know what direction to take. And typically. That direction is going to be decided by what's going to make you the most money or save you the most money.
1: You also have a worksheet on retirement analysis and how to figure out when you should take Social Security. Is that a, a
2: um, decision that make people often make incorrectly? Well, you know what? The thing is, is when I started talking about credit cards, you know, um, and I started to do this debt stuff, it was about me using credit cards. Now, you know, it's been like 30 years. And so now I'm thinking finally about retirement. Even though I'm like a decade out from that. So one of the things to look at is, you know, your social security and something about social security that everyone wonders is this, you know, break even calculation. And what that really means is that when you start retiring at age 62, you get a certain amount. And then at every year after that, ever, really every month and every year, but every year after that, you get more and more money, you know, uh, up until 70, which is the max. So the question is if I delay taking social security when will it be beneficial and that it'll be when will that make more money than if I took it earlier and the way you can figure it out simply is just knowing well if I say got 1812 bucks which is my current one for 62 how long before the 63 year old number which would be 1956 when when is it better the answer to that is after 164 months then it's better. In 163 months I would have collected 295,356 and 164th month by delaying a year it would be 297,000 if I waited till 63. Of course that time is when I'm 75. So it's really a matter of how long do you think you're going to live? And that's what I have done with this thing. Now I'm going to be releasing that shortly. Um It is, you know, I'm I'm testing it right now, but it's really nice. So I really just calculate, like, if you think you're going to live to, say, 77 and a half years old, then it would say in my case that I should take Social Security at 66. So, of course, this is the guesswork, right? But this is the guesswork everyone has to make. They, They just say, well, you know, sometimes you should take it earlier or later. And there are other factors, too. Other factors like, do you need it? If you don't need it at 62 and you figure you're going to live till 80 because you have siblings that live till, till to 100 or 90 or whatever, then you know. Well, the biggest predictor of living to 100 is having a sibling that lives to 100, which makes a lot of sense because they have very nearly your DNA, all things given, all, all other things being equal. But if you have a history of long life, then you can delay it, especially if you don't need the money. But if you need the money, then you take it earlier. But if you can wait in this time zone and figure it out, then you should definitely look at capturing the most money. Always, you have a section on your
1: Dead Smart uh, newsletter about credit repair. Yes. What, what is legitimate and what is not legitimate in trying to repair uh, dings on your credit re-
2: report to make your credit
1: score go higher?
2: Sure. Well, you know, a lot of pla- there are places, unscrupulous companies that will try to deceive you. And steal your money by saying that they can fix your credit no matter what's on there and whenever someone is going to um dispute something in your credit report report then that'll come off until an investigation is done but the thing is if it's true it's going to remain so if there's something on your credit report that is actually accurate it's going nowhere it'll just go right back on there even if someone can get it removed for a short time so Um, if you're not sure how to do it, then maybe, you know, you could use someone's help. But today, unlike it was like 20 years ago when you had to write letters and things like that, if you go to annualcreditreport.com, which is like the only, uh, real site that, um, allows you to look at your credit report, um, then you can dispute. Uh, any anything that's wrong with your credit report there and also get a free copy of your credit report so uh, that is the only site uh, that'll do it and all you need to do to dispute it is uh just go in there in the credit report that you're looking at well you, you use all of them experience um all all the different credit reports that are there and you you would dispute that information if it's false so anything that's false you can remove yourself, but if it's true, you know it's gonna it's gonna remain. In general, are
1: is there a lot of mistakes? Are there a lot of mistakes on credit reports? People say that there's a tremendous amount of inaccuracies. In general, is that correct?
2: Uh you know, it hasn't been my experience when I when I've helped people, it, it seems that it's pretty pretty accurate. There there are times when it is, but if if you have like if you know you're paying your bills on time and you know everything's great and all of a sudden your credit score drops a hundred something's going on something's not right maybe someone with your same name had something going on I've seen this before but in general especially today with the way everything's connected through computers you can bet they're going to try to keep that accurate I mean it's their job to to get that right so you know it's it's going to be tough to fight things um but I mean, yes, uh, there are many instances where there are errors. so You should always get your credit report once a year and look at it. And, you know, most credit cards like Discover Card. Um, so I think Citibank and a bunch of them, American Express, will show you your credit score online and give you a graph of that thing over time. So just by having those credit cards like the discover it card is the one that comes to mind first. And check in your credit score, even if you don't use it for anything, just have it. I mean, you can use it pay it off or whatever, and get the rewards. But just to look at your credit score for free is a good thing. And that'll keep you in touch with it.
1: one area that really hurts your credit score is if you get hit by ID theft. Is, is that still a major problem? Or is that getting better right now? as people getting hit by ID theft.
2: You know, that's always a problem. But uh, I don't hear as much about it as as I used to, but that's not, not a reason to let your guard down. I mean, uh, if someone wants to hack your info, they're going to get it. Um, and you just have to be very careful that you don't give it away through phishing schemes where someone sends you an email and you click on a link. And this happens to the best of us, you know, they'll send your Facebook message. Because they somehow got your friend's account and ask you for something and then you give away something that ends up allowing them to take your personal information and start a credit file on you. Or I mean, some people could even go and take like your mail out of your mailbox. So uh, it's another good reason to just have everything like, elect- if you have things electronic, people can't get your mail, but then you have to very much guard your electronic profile. So you should be diligent about that. And there are, you know, by, by watching your credit score, you will be able to have an eye on this and your credit cards will allow you to freeze them if you sus- suspect there's a problem. Now, I think everyone has gotten a call every once in a while from the credit card bank saying something like, hey, did you make this transaction or, you know, and it's something that's valid. Um, although I have gotten a few where, you know, someone was trying to use my card somehow they got a hold of it. And I it's funny, Jordan, because I always hear them say my friends like, oh, the credit card companies. They're so good to me. You know, they're calling me, they're helping me. Well, no, because sure, yes, it helps you. But at the same time, if someone does a charge that you didn't do on your credit card, the bank's going to be on the hook for it if they let it go by. So they're calling you to protect themselves because in the end, the Fair Credit Reporting Act would would stop you from having to pay any inaccurate charges. So it's like one hand washes the other here. But yes, um, it can happen that you can have your identity stolen. I definitely haven't heard much about it.
1: So for people who have too much debt, there are two big choices. There are debt settlement companies, Mm -hmm. credit counseling firms. What are the pros and cons of debt settlement versus credit counseling?
2: Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. Uh, Well, debt settlement companies will contact your creditors and try to settle them for pennies on a dollar. And in my book, um, Talk Your Way Out of Credit Card Debt, I have a whole chapter about how to settle your debts yourself. Um, You can make an offer, but to really settle your debts, the way to settle them is you need to negotiate. And the only way to negotiate is to have something they really want. And what do they want? They want the money. So, you know, they might take a portion of the money, but you're going to have to persuade them. And you're going to persuade them by saying, I'll pay it all tomorrow. So say you've been late for a long time. You owe 5,000 and you say, hey, I can borrow money from a friend who'll lend it to me. And he's going to lend me half the money. Will you take half the money and wipe out the debt? Uh, Some banks will do that if you've been late for a long time. Um, On the flip side of that, you might also get a 1099 in the mail for money that, that you'll have to pay tax on the difference. But aside from all that, even if you can get that done, you still need to have the money and have been late for a while. Now, what these debt settlement companies will do is they'll. They'll have you be late and pay the money to them, and it's going to destroy what's left of your credit to do the settlement. So that's the payoff. Sure, you might pay it off less, but you're going to really crush your credit uh, by doing that. If your credit's already terrible, it's something to consider. Credit counselors, on the other hand, will help you organize your debt, pay it on time. They're going to take some of that, or maybe they'll get kickbacks from the bank to do it. Um, But. You have those two options and bankruptcy might also be a better option because your credit might be messed up for a while. But then once you come out of it, you'll be clean. I know plenty of people that have gone through bankruptcies and now years later, they're really in great shape, purchased homes. So each of those choices, like everything else in life, has advantages and disadvantages. So you really have to look at that. If you already have a messed up credit, you don't care, and you might be able to pay it off for half and be done with it, that might be the way to go. If you want to manage it over time and try to improve it slowly, counselor, if you want to want to wipe it all out, nothingness, and then clean it up, bankruptcy might be the way to go. So if you're considering negotiations, settlement, you might also want to consider bankruptcy. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is
1: Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Scott Bilker. He is the president and publisher of the debt smart newsletter which you can find out more at his website debtsmart.com we'll be back after this
3: from the boardroom to you voice america business network
4: are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing
0: You've been listening to The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Scott Bilker. He is the publisher of the Debt Smart newsletter, which is a newsletter about debt and credit. You can find out more at his website, debtsmart.com. Welcome back to the show, Scott. Thanks, Jordan. On a general, more general basis, we've had a very volatile stock market, mostly kind of going down uh, this year. Interest rates have risen quite sharply on Treasury bills and Treasury bonds. <clears throat> what do you think
2: about the mix of stocks versus
1: bonds uh, in today's market?
2: Well, I think if you have stocks now, and certainly a 401 k, you know, you have to be in a holding pattern because there's really not, not much you can do. I mean, if, if you look at the market in just in the last couple of weeks, Every time it goes up, it goes up dramatically and down dramatically. And uh, all you can really know is that, I mean, I feel confident in 10 years, everything will be just fine. The question mark is, when do you need that money? And comparing it to rates, like, wow, if you look at treasurydirect.gov and look at the auctions, and I'm looking at them right now, four-week T-bills, treasury bills, 3.25%. That is amazing. You can buy these things directly from the federal government. In your account and it's a hundred percent safe unless the US government goes bankrupt, which is certainly unlikely. So I mean if you do like a 26-week T-bill, it's four point two four five percent right now. That's unbelievable. I remember when these things were like half a percent. It wasn't that long ago, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure you know what I mean. I'm sure you track the same stuff. Uh, indeed. Um, so you, you would put
1: some money into shorter term as opposed to longer term uh, treasuries. Is that like two year? What, what's the sweet spot as far as you're concerned?
2: Well, you know what? What what I'm what I'm doing actually is I'm buying like the four week T-bills and then just revolving them because that way the money comes back and then I'll just keep buying them and it keeps going up. You know, so if you bought something out, you know, weeks ago that was, say, six months, I mean, the rate now for the four week is a little better. So I buy for four weeks; it comes back into my account. Because what what it what happens is, when you buy these T bills, they are going to debit your account that's connected to it by the um, by the discounted rate. So say there's a dollar in interest, and you bought a thousand dollars worth of uh, like a thousand dollars in T bills, and there's a dollar interest in there somewhere for the four weeks. It'll they'll charge 9.99. They'll take 99 out and four weeks later, put back a thousand. They'll put back the face value. So, and when they put it back, I'll just buy more or the week before I'll go on for the next auction. This way, as rates go up, my next four weeks will go up and beat out the longer term rates overall. And I still think we're going to see them go up for a while. Now there's the the I-bond, which is really nice. And um, that has some limitations. Well, I I might mention limitations for T-bills, like 5 million. So I'm not too worried about hitting that. (laughs) What what do you like about I-bonds particularly? Oh, the I-bond is like a hedge against inflation. It's like 9.62% or something if you were to buy it before the end of October. And I think the conditions are you have to hold it for a year. And then if you cash in early, I forget what the term is like, five years, then you'll lose three months in interest. But that thing at 9.62% is like, those are like interest rates from the 80s that you could get in a money market, which is kind of incredible. And it's adjusted every, I think every six months. By inflation, it kind of follows inflation. So if inflation goes up, it'll go up. I believe the limitation on that is like $10,000 per Social Security number. So, um you know, just it's just good. If you put in 10000 you know, you're going to make like $1,000 on it. It's a nice place to keep it if you don't need it, you know, during that time. So something to consider. So the Federal Reserve
1: has raised rates three quarters of a point three times, probably going to do that again in their December meeting. Um, Actually, early November meeting. How much do you think the Fed is going to keep raising rates? Well, into next year, or do you think they're going to stop? What, what is your sense of how effective their rate rises have been in starting to slow inflation? Oh,
2: well, I don't think – I don't see inflation slowing at all, actually. You know, um, I haven't seen anything go down, gas a little here and there. But, you know, that's going to probably turn around. Um, I think any kind of, like, guessing of the future is tough. and um Hard to say. I mean, if you want, the market always tries to keep ahead of that. So if the market were to continue to rise into December, I would think that, you know, it's more of a social proof that possibly the Fed's going to ease off the uh, raising of interest rates. But I think they're going to have to try to get inflation under control. And this is really the only thing they, the power they have to do it. So it's going to be a rocky ride, I think, for the next year. So some
1: people are saying the Fed's trying to engineer a so-called soft landing where the economy slows down, inflation comes down, and everything is fine. Some people are saying it's going to be a hard landing where there could be some kind of financial accident, some kind of a 2008 Lehman Brothers kind of moment, uh, and it would be a disaster and they have to bail everybody out. What is your estimate as to what's going to happen?
2: Ooh, that's, that's a that's a good question. Well, like I always say, if I, you know, if I could tell the future, I'd just buy lottery tickets. Um <laughs> just cut to the chase. But unfortunately, you still ha- you have to make a bet. You know, you have to decide. If you have money, you're always making a bet, right? I mean, if you do nothing, you're betting that everything else in the world's you know going to do poorly and keeping it in your mattress is the smart thing to do. And if you put it in real estate, or you put it in stocks, you know, you're betting on those things. But if you have money, you must place your bets. So I think that um, as far as a soft landing. Uh, I'm an optimist, so I'm hoping for the soft landing, but better to prepare for it by being diversified throughout everything. I mean, real estate's always like, a you know, the overall throughout time, best thing to have something in it. If you can get involved in rental properties. Um, or anything to do with owning property, that's probably going to be helpful. You just can't overpay for that. You got to make sure you do your math on that. Uh, You should have some stocks. I think now is a good time to buy some things. You know, um, I wouldn't put all my eggs in one basket, but if you have some, if you if you're holding some cash, I mean, how, how much lower is this going to go? You know, sure, it could go to zero, unlikely, but could it go down significantly? Sure. But I think it's, You know, you might say, well, where's Google going to be in the next 10 years? Is it going to be up? I think so. Amazon still going to be around doing well? I think so. Buy one share here, one share there. You know, there's no transaction fees anymore. So you can always liquidate that quick. And definitely keep some cash, get some T-bills, but you want to make sure you're well diversified. So no matter what that landing is, something should survive, although I have learned the pandemic that sometimes everything gets smashed the pandemic smashed everything for a while everything like i I thought then like well diversification really didn't help me that much because everything got moved back
1: what is your view of cryptocurrency should people be putting money into
2: bitcoin uh well i you know what i view cryptocurrency as kind of like a lottery ticket myself i've got about eh, 650 into into cryptocurrency i've got a little bitcoin i've got a little ethereum and I just got that over the last few years, you know, it was up at one point to like 1700. I'm not looking to make a killing, but I want to have like some skin in the game in 10 years. Maybe, you know, if I can go out to dinner or maybe buy something, maybe it's going to be worth what it is now, maybe a little more or maybe worth a million dollars. Who knows? But I would not bet the farm on cryptocurrency, even though I do believe it's the future. Imagine if the United States came out with like a crypto dollar, like a, a, you know, a blockchain U.S. dollar. Then the competition. I mean, what would you want to get? The U.S. currency, cryptocurrency, or you know, Dogecoin, you know, or any of those, AMP or whatever they are. I would want the U.S. dollar one. So I think that could change things dramatically. But I think it's worth a small, very small bet, because you have to understand you'll lose it, lose it all. I know people personally that, you know, they thought they were geniuses when they were trading and it was going up and they kept putting more and more in and then psh, wiped out. And I've read stories about people that put tons of money in crypto, even borrowed money against it, and then weren't even allowed to get in there and liquidate or buy things to clean that up. And now they're losing their homes. So it's extremely risky. Uh, and if you're going to do anything with it, you're going to have to just come to the realization that you can lose everything you put in there so be super careful
1: in the two minutes or so we have left just kind of summarize how people can do better with their debt and credit based on the things we talked about for the last up
2: sure i mean if you have credit there are three main things you need to do to get out of it right number 1 you have to get organized financially and this goes for everything with your money you want to you need a filing system you need to save for important documents you need to save all your statements in in like in your google drive or on a hard drive that's backed up you need to create a budget which is a roadmap. and when i say that i mean track your spending see what you're spending and adjust it not like make some fictitious budget you can't keep right number two you need to become more efficient with your current debts because You need to get those rates down. You have to reduce your interest rates. You got to look at those transfer offers. You got to refinance your loans. You got to become as efficient as you can. You got to call your current banks and get them to reduce your rates. And lastly, you have to earn more money because even if you get your rates down, even if you're organized, it takes money to pay it back. If you don't have enough money to pay it back, even at those low rates, you need to earn more money. And that could be a side hustle, a second job, a business idea. Believe in your own business ideas because that could ultimately be the thing that gets you out of debt and and makes you super successful financially. Very good. Well,
1: thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Scott Bilker. He's the president and publisher of the Debt Smart newsletter. Uh, He's got a lot of great ideas on help with your debt and credit. You can find out more at his website, debtsmart.com. Thanks so much for being on The Money Answer Show, Scott. My pleasure, Jordan. Thanks for having me. Thanks again. We'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show.